World, we got this. The podcast talking big global challenges with the experts taking them on. Brought to you by the School of Global Affairs at King's College London. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name's James Bagley from King's College London. As you know, this podcast is all about looking at big global challenges. And no challenge seems larger than the growing tensions between the US and China. From trade wars to spats on social media, the two most powerful nations on earth are increasingly moving to what can feel like a Cold War mentality. However, it's important to take a step back, to read the signals beyond the noise. That's exactly what a new policy series from the Lao China Institute here at King's aims to do. It aims to go beyond the rhetoric and the headlines to explore China's diplomatic, economic and security interactions with the world. Over the coming months, the series will bring together researchers, academics and policymakers to discuss some of the key policy challenges relating to China, ranging from China's impact on renewable technology and the creation of a new foreign investment programme such as the Belt and Road Initiative, to the changing role of diplomacy. Today, we have the author of the first paper, Alice Politi. Alice's paper and research assesses the effectiveness of a recent agreement signed between Italy and China. The paper explores what we can learn about Chinese diplomacy from the agreement. What I perhaps found most fascinating about the paper was the way in which Alice's research demonstrates the importance of Chinese foreign investment to its diplomacy. This can, of course, bring huge benefits to the trading partner, in this case Italy, but as we go on to discuss, it comes also with huge challenges. Before we head to today's conversation, I should say that we will be running a launch event this Wednesday, December 9th at 12pm. Uh, it's going to be happening on Zoom and you can find out more about that event and the series in detail by going to the China Institute website here at King's and that's www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash LCI forward slash policy. Okay, so on to today's episode. This is Italy and the New Silk Road with Alice Politi. Alice, your essay looks at the Italian government's recent MOU, a bilateral agreement um, with China, which is linked to the Belt and Road Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about the Belt and Road and why it's important to the China-Italian relationship? So thank you, James. Um, the Belt and Road Initiative originates from the idea of the Silk Roads, which have connected the world for uh, thousands of years, allowing the transportation of goods and the sharing of knowledge and ideas, with, uh, of course, China figuring as the epicenter of this network. The significance of the ancient Silk Roads is returning owing to the Belt and Road Initiative. On 7 September 2013, President Xi Jinping proposed for the first time the building of the uh, Silk Road Economic Belt. And the main objective of the um, Belt and Road Initiative is to create a new model of international relations based on diplomacy with Chinese characteristics with the goal to renovate the participation of China on an international level. Um, of course, the Belt and the Road are complementary to each other. So the aim of the Maritime Silk Road is to link and expand the land belt through um, three main maritime routes starting from Chinese coastal area. 
Italy is the European country that has made the largest commitment so far to China's Belt and Road Initiative. This was during the uh, visit by Xi Jinping uh, to the country in March 2019, when uh, a memorandum of understanding, as you mentioned, was signed, um, containing agreements between the two countries. Despite pressure from the US and the, and the EU, um, Italy became the first European country to accord the BRI this kind of recognition. In China, this obviously played an important role for publicity and propaganda, while for Italy, it caused tensions with other partners in the European Union, many of whom had uh, resisted going through um, a similar role. The policy paper identifies the risks taken by Italy by signing the MOU, both of geopolitical and financial nature, and analyzes the content of the MOU and the data describing China's involvement in Italy and vice versa. Given the risks taken by Italy with the signature of the Memorandum of Understanding, the aim of the uh, analysis is to recognize if the signature of the MOU has brought any concrete change in addressing Italy's core needs, or if it mainly has had for China a value of validation from um, a EU founder country and part of the G7 becoming part of the BRI. Data proves that the um, MOU with bilateral agreements between Italy and China is not fit to address Italy's problems and didn't translate in any material change for Italy, but it is clear that its main role has been one of publicity and validation for China, hiding this under the appealing narrative of the general connectivity idea promoted by the um, BRI. And as you point out in the paper, the relationship between Italy and China is, is an interesting one and in, in some ways unique um, within Europe in the sense that they have opted, Italy has opted for direct talks and agreements with China. What's the significance of that bilateral relationship and how does that affect Italy's relationship uh, with Brussels so the European Union has expressed its concerns over the decision of Italy signing bilateral agreements with China. This was in contrast with the position of the EU, which has sought for a long time to build a shared position on the economic relations with China. Talking about tensions between Italy and the EU and China, it is important to highlight how Italy moved away from the EU's position. Um, which was published in a joint communication with uh, um, a strategic outlook on EU-China relations uh, on the 12th of March 2019. Uh, these include the rules and specific principles that the EU is committed to follow to in the in the cooperation with China, making reference to uh, a previous joint communication on EU strategy on China of July 2016. The 2019 strategy outlook. Um, presents EU's willingness to follow a shared path in the EU or relations with China and points out how the relationship between EU and China is, of course, deeply consolidated, being um, both of these actors, two of the three greatest economies and traders in the world. It is also worth mentioning, though, that um, the joint communication of 2019 was released by the European Commission on the 12th of March 2019, so it probably came a little too late as Italy, the Italy-China Memorandum of Understanding was signed um, on the 23rd of March 2019. However, the choice made by Italy points out the tensions with Brussels 
on this topic. And the joint communication of 2019 surely is indicative of how finding a balance with China in the frame of the EU would be a less risky and more certain option for a medium-sized country and economy like Italy instead of pursuing an incredibly ambitious target alone. So in order to give an idea of the relevance of the relationship between the EU and China, it is worth mentioning that in 2019, China was the third largest partner for uh, EU exports of goods and the largest for EU imports of goods. So while it is suggested that the main concern for Italy of finding a balance with China within the framework of the EU is that Italy would be held back from carrying out future collaborations with China. This is somewhat unfunded, since as among the member states in 2019, Italy was actually ranked um, rank third for import of goods from China and ranked fourth for export of, uh, of goods to China before the signature of the 2019 Memorandum of Understanding. And as the essay lays out, this is geopolitical in many ways, but it's also political in the court of public opinion. And, and one of the things I think that has been notable in the last year and as this series launches from the Lao China Institute is that more and more we're hearing in domestic politics discussion of China, whether that's in relation to trade um, or security. And there's, there's a debate going on in capital cities across the West one of the things that you point out in your essay is there has been a, a kind of changing domestic picture of public opinion in terms of China and Italy. And that may in some part be down to the highly publicized uh, support from the Chinese government for Italy during the pandemic. Obviously, Italy being one of the hardest hit European countries, uh, the first to experience a major outbreak what has that support from China done to the perception of both China and the Chinese state in Italy? So this is a very interesting question. Thank you, James. Um, in order to spot the change in perception of China and Italy following the COVID-19 emergency, it is necessary to point out that when the 2019 Memorandum of Understanding was signed, uh, domestically, the Italian public raised some concerns regarding China's human rights records, questions about economic reciprocity and the problem of security regarding the BRI's geopolitical ramifications. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has represented a crucial moment of change for Italian public opinion on China. Uh, whilst in the rest of the world, the image of China as a, as a global superpower has been a little bit damaged because of reliability and transparency issues emerging during the COVID-19 emergency, the pandemic has played different role in changing many Italians' perception of China. Uh, what emerges by a survey by the Institute of International Affairs and Siena University is that many Italians' opinion on China have changed. While, um, on the one hand, the Chinese authorities are almost um, unanimously perceived as responsible for the spread of the virus, on the other hand, this does not translate into a feeling of hostility towards China. Instead, as highlighted in the paper, not only do Italians believe that China has managed the health emergency very efficiently, but they have also developed a feeling of trust um, for the aid provided by China to Italy to face the pandemic during the peak phase of the emergency. Um, we have to mention that a crucial factor contributing to this is that in that moment, Italians felt abandoned even by the EU. 
especially in, uh, after the strong words of Christine Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank, uh, in the initial stage of the emergency. As uh, these words were quite stark and show no intention, at least initially, from the ECB to concretely help Italy. And in this context, while experiencing tragic reality caused by the pandemic, uh, we have to mention it was the period in which images of military trucks carrying bodies out of Bergamo were shown by the Italian media and mm, main television. China reached out as a new powerful ally on um, uh, March the 12th, when Chinese authorities sent medical equipment and a team of doctors from Shanghai to Italy. And the resonance of this initiative in the media was enormous, with an important role being played by the Chinese embassy in Italy through the main social networks channels. Uh, the main role has been played by traditional media in Italy, such as TV channels and newspapers. And it is worth mentioning that in Italy, TV is the main source of information. Uh, interestingly, the 2019 uh, MOU has contributed to reinforce China's publicity, as in this occasion of the signature of the Memorandum of Understanding, Several editorial agreements between Chinese and Italian media outlets have been signed, resulting in the arrival of aid from China to Italy, receiving an incredibly high audience on the Italian TV. And media intelligence companies have conducted that anal analysis aimed to compare the Italian media coverage of Chinese, Russian and US aid arrivals in Italy, using the difference in time dedicated by the state-owned national public broadcasting company of Italy to, to deliver news regarding aid arriving from these countries. What the results show is that China has had the highest media coverage, uh, with the arrival of Chinese aid having more than triple the visibility when compared to US financial aid sent to Rome. As the paper points out, interestingly, the result of the surveys uh, investigating Italians' perception towards China's uh, aid initiative highlights how wise part of the public believes that the, um, the aid policy for Italy uh, has to be considered as uh, a move by Beijing aimed to increase uh, the Chinese political influence in Italy. A considerable number of respondents considers it as a gesture of solidarity towards Italians and believe that the pandemic has demonstrated the complete failure of the EU. And regarding the impact of this phenomenon on diplomatic relations, interestingly, an opinion poll conducted by the SWG Research Institute in April 2020 showed that for uh, the first time, Italians expressed their preference for having China as a potential international partner outside of Europe instead of the US. And however, as suggested by the director of the um, Center of American Studies based in Rome, this is probably a change more linked to uh, emotions and perception of communications during the pandemic. And it's quite premature to predict whether this perception of China will last in the long term or not, as um, it is worth considering that Italy has been and is interconnected with the EU and, and the US from a very long time under um, many aspects, both culturally and economically. And so it would be quite difficult for Italy to radically change its traditional geopolitical position so quickly. What do you think your research tells us about whether countries such as Italy, uh, large to medium-sized economies, uh, can do in relation to bilateral agreements with China 
and whether these kinds of agreements um, do present an opportunity for countries or whether, in fact, they will need to um, uh, come together uh, in blocks when dealing with China. So as highlighted in the paper, uh, signing bilateral agreements with China is risky for medium-sized economies such as Italy. In the case of Italy, a medium-sized country signing bilateral agreements with a power like China, the agreement set incredibly ambitious and vague targets to carry out alone with financial and geopolitical risks. Um, As we have previously discussed, Italy's decision was uh, in contrast with the position of the EU and the US, which are Italy's historic partners. Uh, Moreover, it it is also worth mentioning a a potential financial risk for Italy, which is posed by the so-called debt trap, which can be seen in the cases of other countries taking part in the um, Belt Road Initiative and which will be vulnerable to debt distress due to the to um, BRI-related future financing. In these cases, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank has financed the uh, construction of infrastructure works uh, associated with ABRI, um, providing generous loans to these countries. But it later led to uh, negative debt implications. It is worth mentioning that the um, Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank is also the bank referred to uh, in the 2019 Memorandum of Understanding with Italy as Bank for Projects Loans. The paper makes reference to a study released in March 2019 by the Center for Global Development and uses the case of Sri Lanka as an example of the phenomenon where, because of the um, inability to repay the debt contracted with China, it was forced to surrender the control rights of the uh, of a port in December 2017, the port of uh, Hambantota. Um, obviously, Italy's condition is profoundly different from that of the countries mentioned in the paper, which have fallen into the debt trap, uh, being the third most important economy in the Eurozone. Um, however, it must be considered that Italy already had a vast public debt being the third most indebted country in terms of percentage of uh, GDP in uh, per capita terms in the world. Uh, therefore, it is advisable for medium-sized economies like Italy or the UK to consider the wider implications and risks deriving from bilateral agreements with a power like China and carry out cooperation projects with China in the framework of bigger actors with consolidated relations with China, such as the EU in the case of Italy. And one of the things I did want to ask you about is you mentioned in the paper there were some specific industries and sectors which China sought access to in the case of this MOU and was particularly interested in. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and the industries that that China is most interested in relation to Italy? So, um, first of all, it is important to highlight how even if the signature of the 2019 Memorandum of Understanding has not brought any concrete change in addressing Italy's core needs. The reciprocal involvement between Italy and China in different fields has continued to grow um, in previous years as well. And the policy paper deeply analyzes these sectors, such as tourism, educational research, and trading levels. What appears is that um, the cooperation among the two countries in these fields, which are also those mentioned in the Memorandum of Understanding, 
hasn't witnessed particular changes after the signature of the 2019 Memorandum of Understanding. And moreover, the paper highlights the trend followed by Chinese investments in Italy in the past two decades, concentrating on Italian niche industries of excellence. It comes out that um, Chinese investments are focused on acquiring shares of Italian companies with highly developed technology, regardless of the size of the company. So um, Chinese investment um, appear to uh, display focus and interest in high-tech machines, high-quality products, and the unique Italian expertise. Examples of this uh, are the acquisition of um, controlling shares of the historic company Pirelli or uh, Buccellati, which is the famous jewelry brand, which is uh, an example, of course, of the Italian artisanal expertise. Uh, moreover, over the past few years, a tendency can be seen of Chinese investment focusing on acquiring shares of companies with a particular developed technology. Um, an interesting aspect of, um, of this is that the main factor of interest, as mentioned also before, is not the size um, or the popularity of the company, but more the high level of technology and specific know-how. Uh, moreover, another sector in which China sought access to is entertainment, as demonstrated by the uh, acquisition of FC Inter and AC Milan football teams. And as pointed out in the paper, it is obviously beneficial for Italian companies in these sectors to receive a new flow of capital. Um, however, it is important to be aware of the possible future disadvantages uh, deriving from the transfer of the Italian know-how uh, in specific sectors to China. One of the things that you mentioned in the paper and is perhaps not fully recognised is that there is actually a large Chinese migrant population who have been working and living in Italy for, for many years now. Um, can you tell us a bit about that community and how they actually shape Chinese-Italian relations? Sure. So this is a very interesting topic, actually, that uh, I have analysed in the paper for the relevance of the Chinese community in Italy, which, of course, enriched the social tissue of the country, but also for the possible consequences that the signature of the Memorandum of Understanding could have on the textile industry penalizing part of the Chinese community in Italy, which is highly involved in the sector. Uh, according to the Italian Ministry of uh, Labor and Social Policies, the community is confirmed in third place for a number of non-Italian ethnic communities present, present in the country. And it is a uh, vibrant and active community, uh, recorded a significant presence in the Italian industry sector and ranking second among other ethnic communities in Italy, for the number of uh, owners of businesses and also ranking first for the number of female uh, entrepreneurs. The paper analyzes um, in detail the broad characteristics and role of the Chinese community in Italy, which is a pretty wide topic. But um, now I would like to concentrate more on the relation between the Chinese community working in the textile industry and the signature of the 2019 MOU. So to give a little bit of context, after the liberalization that allowed the departure of uh, an increasing number of Chinese citizens to migrate to Europe in the, in the 80s, Chinese uh, migrants found a particularly suitable environment to start their businesses in the city of Prato in Tuscany. This was due to the uh, availability of uh, production spaces, 
which were left free by um, Italian textile artisans because of the economic crisis during the second half of the uh, 1980s. Uh, Prato is a particularly important part for the Italian manufacturing, contributing to the uh, realization of the Made in Italy label products in the fields of fashion, which is one of uh, Italy's flagship sectors, of course. Um, to give an idea of the relevance of this production, Prato's textile district is considered the largest textile center in Europe and is one of the largest industrial districts in Italy gaining the global reputation of being one of the most important centers for the production of yours and woolen fabrics. And we can say that Prato's textile district represents a landmark for the made in Italy clothing production, um, being now synonym of quality, technique, and ad hoc infrastructure, and also being in the vanguard for some technical uh, uh, innovation and research in the sector. Um, Prato textile district is um, quite a unique industry of excellence for the Italian manufacturer sector and a reference point, of course, for the Chinese community in Italy. However, as the paper uh, points out, the uh, signature of the 2019 MOU could possibly penalize the Italian textile industry in the future, as the manufacturer sector could experience an even sharper competition with the Chinese production which is cheaper and already threatens the sector in Italy. Um, so, of course, the narrative surrounding the signature of the 2019 MOU has been the one of promoting the export of made in Italy products. But actually, the Memorandum of Understanding um, aims to increase investments and trade flows in both directions, without mentioning a, prefer a preferential way to uh, specifically increase the volume of exports of the made in Italy production. For the Italian textile and manufacturing industry, this translates into the risk of increasing even more the disproportion between the volume of imported uh, textile goods from China to Italy and exported textile goods from Italy to China, which is already in balance and in favor of China, penalizing the more expensive uh, Italian textile industry. I guess as we wrap up, I have two thoughts and maybe if I put them into two parts, two questions uh, for you. The first is, what do you think the Italian experience here teaches us about diplomacy with China? So, first of all, um, it teaches how dealing with China is nowadays fundamental, but it presents some critical issues which should be considered. Um, the BRI is a project that can't be ignored by Western countries as it is global and inevitably has geopolitical and economic implications for the countries involved. As the paper points out, there are numerous fields of collaboration between China and Italy, lasting from well before the signature of the 2019 uh, MOU. Italy, of course, needs Chinese investments, as um, according to the Rodium Group and uh, Mercator Institute for, uh, for China Studies 2018 and 2019 report um, on Chinese uh, foreign direct investments in Europe and also the uh, Italian Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation's data. Uh, between 2000 and 2019, Italy has around third Europe for Chinese investments after Great Britain and Germany. However, even if Chinese diplom diplomacy on the BRI encourages a narrative of promoting international connectivity, through development of infrastructure and trade, 
In the case of the um, MOU between Italy and China, this is translating in setting very ambitious and vague targets, um, lacking concreteness in addressing Italy's core needs. That analyzed a report in the paper shows um, that the signature of the 2019 MOU hasn't brought relevant changes beyond pre-existing arrangements between the two countries. Medium-sized economies such as Italy should be aware that China's diplomacy in the context of the BRI normally aligns with China's advertised rhetoric, representing an occasion for publicity and propaganda, but bringing relevant economic and geopolitical risks for the context of the So the symbolic value uh, that the signature of this agreement has for China is of great value, as China obtained validation from a major EU country becoming part of the BRI. The significance of the signature of a country like Italy is indeed different from those of other uh, 13 European countries having already signed a MOU with China. Italy is one of the founder countries of the, uh, of the EU, and uh, it is still one of its pillars. Moreover, it's also one of the founding members of uh, NATO and has been the first um, G7 country to sign an MOU with China. So as shown by the paper though, uh, Italy's core needs haven't been concretely addressed at the expense of running geopolitical and financial risks. A powerful actor such as the EU with consolidated relations with China offers the possibility for a medium-sized actor such as Italy to cooperate with China in a less risky framework without being held back in um, its cooperation project, projects with China as data regarding the uh, 2019 EU member trade levels with China has shown. And I guess my follow-up to that is a bit of a prediction. Do you feel that Italy's experience will lead others to think that they can conduct these bilateral agreements? Or do you actually think that it may be a, a, a warning sign to other countries, perhaps uh, even Britain? The Italian example may cause Western countries to pull back from seeking bilateral agreements with China, as the risks being run by Italy are, are, are considerable, as the paper highlights. Uh, moreover, as we have previously discussed, um, there, are, there is a bit of a controversial situation in which Italy finds itself regarding the relationship with the, with the US and the EU. And it is... Um, a difficult one with unpredictable outcomes for the future. As emerges from the paper and from our discussion during this podcast, there are reasons why the uh, majority of Western countries have refrained from signing uh, bilateral agreements with China in the context of the BRI. And there are valid motivations, of course, at the base of the EU recommendations to seek to build a shared position among the EU members on the um, on the economic relations with China. Alice, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, from here in rainy London to snowy uh, northern Italy, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, James. You've been listening to the World We Got This podcast from Global Affairs at King's College London. This podcast was produced by James Bagley and Lucy Wilman, with editing from Rachel Waugh.